This week's episode of Innovators is brought to you by the Future of Work Initiative, powered by Microsoft. Embark on the next step of your digital transformation at futurelu.com. Hi, welcome to Flyover Futures Innovators Podcast. This season on this show, we are having conversations with folks who are in flyover country at the forefront of the data revolution in places where you might not expect it. Coming up on this episode. The most exciting thing that I saw, there was a hospital network in Louisiana that used the Azure cloud to build out a predictive model using their Epic data. And it would start to alert clinicians prior to a patient having an adverse event. This would watch the medical record and it started to determine, oh, this patient is is going to have a cardiac event. And the team would be alerted and they'd come rushing in and they'd stabilize the patient and get them taken care of before that happened. Whoa. Yeah. I mean, it's just unbelievable. The pilot study had a 44% decrease in the number of adverse events. Yeah, that and a whole lot more is on the way. So go ahead, flip those tray tables up. Let's get ready for takeoff. Here we go. Sound like a pro, Brian. I told you. Done this before. This is how we do it. This is how we roll. Welcome. This is Flyover Futures Innovators Podcast. My name is Brian Eikenberg. I am the executive producer, and we have our host from the Future of Work Initiative, powered by Microsoft. Ladies and gentlemen, the tallest man on your headphones today. It's Ben Reno Weber. Who do we have as a guest today, Ben? Today, we are super lucky to have Judy Nichols of Breakpoint Technology. Uh, Welcome, Judy. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. And part of why I'm excited is that when I first started to get interested in artificial intelligence and the data economy, I attended a a conference, the Women in Tech Conference, uh, where you were and we had been introduced. And you have been one of the people who really has helped me to understand what's going on in the economy and what some of the implications of the coming data revolution are. So I'm super excited to have a chance to talk to you about it on this show. Thanks very much. This should be fun. Can you tell us a little bit about Breakpoint Technology and about what it is that you do? And then we'll get into some of the pieces of the business problems that you're seeing and what your clients are wrestling with. So Breakpoint Technology is a Microsoft Gold Partner. And uh, we focus very much on helping our customers solve business and data process problems. And a lot of what we do is focusing first on looking at the business problem and trying to to look very closely at what's going on in the business, understanding what your business goals are, what you're really trying to do instead of just throwing technology at the problem. And put our name as breakpoint because when you're writing code, a breakpoint is where you pause and you look to see what the actual problem is. And so that's what we we try to do when we work with our customers. We're never trying to find a quick fix. We're trying to find the long-term solution and to build a relationship with our customers and make sure that we're always finding the best process to go forward and that we help them look at what's going to make their business successful in the long run. That piece, starting with the business problem and then thinking about the technology seems to be at the heart of what is going to make companies and communities successful in the data revolution. Can you talk a little bit about a couple of the problems that you're seeing people or that are surfacing across the customers that you're working with? There's a lot of legacy systems that are out there right now. And some of the biggest issues that we're seeing, people have, for one, numerous systems. They've got some really old systems. They've got new systems. They've got in-between systems. And none of them talk to each other. 
So they're taking things from one system and they're dumping them into a spreadsheet and they're trying to figure out how to push them into the new system. They're trying to spend hours and hours and hours building reports. Um, a lot of times they have FTEs that that's all they do is they just build reports all week long. And it's the same reports every week and it's just a nightmare. So that's that's a huge problem for everybody. You know? So interoperability. Absolutely. And that's something that we often try to help with. How do you make something either integrate together so that you can push information from one system to another, or how do we help make those loads uh, a little smoother so that you don't have to transform, like you pull information out of this system and you have to do a whole bunch of manipulation to push it into the next, or how do we put everything into a place where you can do better reporting and it's mm -hmm. easier to get information and you can see it and make use of it. Those are some things that we do to try to band-aid between all the different systems that you have and make it work better. The other thing is that we're seeing so many times you make a change in one system and it completely blows up what you have in another system, but you aren't aware of it until it's too late. And so we'll mm -hmm. try to help set up notifications. So if something changes in system one, we need to give you a, a set of notifications so that it alerts you that this is a problem now in system two and you need to take action. So what does it look like when it works really well? There's a couple things that are involved in that. One is if you're moving off of a legacy system, don't just recreate the same problems in the new system. Mm. Stop for a minute and think about it. Yeah, it's really helpful to understand what you did in the past, but your focus should be on what you need today and tomorrow. So don't just say, this is what we always did. Stop and think about what does our business need today? And what are we actually trying to accomplish? Just because you went through 15 crazy steps to accomplish the report out of your old system, you need to stop and think about, number one, do you even need that report? You know, what are you trying to accomplish? And then let's think about how do we accomplish the business goal and work backwards from that. Hmm. So this gets into where I, I'm so interested in how companies adapt, which is the organizational culture piece. What you're talking about is change management, you know, yeah. really looking at the business need and identifying, you know, processes and then being open to changing those processes. But like that requires buy-in at a lot of levels that requires the ability mm -hmm. to motivate and then implement. Can you just, talk, so what does that look like when you see it done well? And what does it look like when you see it done poorly? It starts first with, at the very top with defining a data strategy. And thinking at the very top level of your organization about what is it that you really want to accomplish and how do you want your business to be run? So if can, all can I pause you for a second? You talk about data strategy. You know, is that distinct from your business strategy? Or I mean, I, I've heard a lot of talk about what is the role of technology and the CIO and the strategic level right now. It, so how does that your data strategy and your business strategy connect? They should be completely connected and intertwined. Mm. Your business strategy should come first. You know, here are the goals, the goals of your organization, your data strategy should fit right in and be a supporting pillar of that. So if your data strategy doesn't completely tie to and align to those business goals, you haven't set it up. You haven't thought about it. You haven't put it together. If your data strategy is simply, we're going to sit on the Microsoft platform and that's the extent of it, you haven't thought it through. I'm huge on the Microsoft platform. I don't mean that in any way derogatory. Yeah. But if you haven't thought about our business goal is to be number one in the market in this area, and you haven't thought about how your data strategy supports that in a real and tangible way, you haven't done your homework. Okay. So let's say we've got a dynamic company and, you know, big or small, 
and they, okay, we've got a data strategy now. So what happens from there? So what you really have to do when you're thinking about changing your organizational culture is you've got to start thinking in a different way. And, you know, you want to start becoming more data focused, but we, you know, we've got this out on our website. We, we changed one of our pictures to look more like um, kind of the, the transformation of a butterfly because it fits really well. It's kind of a great way to think about it. If you think about starting with traditional analytics is kind of what happened. And it's, so it's, you're that caterpillar kind of crawling around on the ground and eating, eating leaves and doing all of that. And you're always focused on what happened, right? You're living in the past. You're looking at what happened, what's gone on. And that's pretty much where everybody has lived for a long time. And what most organizations are, it's very static. We know what happened three months ago. We're making decisions based on that. Mm -hmm. um, that's where you start out. As you start to transform, you start to look at why did it happen, right? That's the next step. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So we know that three months ago, X, Y, and Z, our numbers looked like this. So let's start to dig into why did that happen? Why were sales down? Why did operations cost this much? And you start to analyze a little bit, but you're still somewhat looking in the past. And you're, but you're starting to look at root cause analysis. You're starting to investigate a little bit. You're starting to use your data in a way to answer questions. So there you're starting to build your chrysalis, right? You're starting to build that cocoon and, and starting to transform a little bit. And just to get a, a little concrete on that. So you're, what you have done at this point is we've got some buy-in, we've taken some historical data, and what we're doing is building some visualizations on top of that historical data that let you identify trends. And see problems, right? And see problems. Okay. Yeah. You're starting to identify what are some of the, the root causes of the problems that, that our data has uncovered. And so just from a staffing perspective, so who's doing that piece in your, is that, is that a dedicated IT resource? Is that someone in the line? Who's that? Well, who's it doing be, that? It could be a combination of people, right? Depending on the type of organization that you have. If you're an operations focused organization, so perhaps you're in manufacturing, which is huge in this region. I mean, that's, you know, a lot of what we're seeing, the people that are really interested in this, but are still very early stage are manufacturing. So maybe let's stay in that space for a second. You might have some of your uh, management and, and uh, supervision and line workers, probably not as much the line workers themselves, but some of the supervisors and some of those who are able to recognize we're seeing bottlenecks in these particular areas in our production line. And we can go back and see when these happen. And we could say, oh, it's because of this particular problem. This is what's mm -hmm. causing this time of year is when it happens. You know, right now we're coming up on peak season for a lot of our distribution areas. You know, UPS is going to have it. A lot of a lot of the logistic areas are going to have it, right? It's it's heading towards the Christmas season. We know sure. that um, that peak season is going to be happening and um, sales are going to increase. There's going to be a lot more packages coming. They're going to have specific problems. They can tie it towards specific causes. So they can start to analyze some of those things and see what's happening. And those are things that you can start to look at with the why did it happen? Okay, so now we're building our chrysalis. I like this butterfly yeah. thing. So then next you start to say, as you start to emerge from the chrysalis, then you start to say, now let's start to predict what will happen. Mm. We're not living in the past anymore. We're starting to say, we've got all this data and everybody has tons of data everywhere, right? Data is piling up all over the place. We're just building tons of data warehouses. We've got data everywhere. Now let's make use of it. 
This is where you start to get into AI and predictive models and looking at some of these things. And now we start to say, how do we take all this and learn from it? We know what's happened in the past. We've started to figure out what some of the root causes are. How do we start to look at this and say, now that we know all this, let's start making some predictions about what's going to happen in the future so we can do something about it now and we can start to make some changes. And this starts to tie right into our business strategy, right? Okay. So you said two things that I want to follow up on and we can do them in, in either order. So the first piece is you said everyone has tons of data. So mm-hmm. I want to I want to follow up on that, maybe poke at that a little bit. Uh, sure. And then you said, and that's where AI comes in. And I feel like that's a big, like we yada yada a lot to get to yeah. AI. That's where AI comes in. So either one of those you want to you wanna talk about, I'd love to hear your thoughts on both. Yeah, well, everybody does have tons of data, right? We just have it collected all over the place, and most of us aren't doing much with it. Um, It's just sitting out there. It's in our databases. It's in our spreadsheets. It's in all kinds of different repositories. But we don't know what to do with it or how to use it. It's just collecting. Um, We have it sitting around. And it's not, and I don't mean to, to suppose that moving to using AI is a simple and easy, this isn't a, a simple, easy jump. Just like changing from a caterpillar into a butterfly, we can't imagine that just because we can't see everything that's happening inside that chrysalis is a simple, easy transformation. There's a lot happening inside there, right? It, it takes a lot of thought. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of resources to move into that process of using AI correctly and to to build these predictive models. But as you start to move, if you really want to move forward into a new transformative culture, you really have to spend the time at looking at all this data and thinking about how to build these data models out correctly so that they can be useful for you. What can you do with all this data you've been saving? Okay, so that's that's where you circle back to, you talk about focusing on the business problem. Absolutely. You've, you've got all this data somewhere. It's sitting in an Excel. You know, I know the price of this thing in Mexico four years ago, but the only reason I know that is because it was in an Excel sheet that we used three years ago in someone's desk. We've got years worth of accounting data. We've got years worth of sales data. We've got years worth of, you know, if we stick with manufacturing, they know a lot of times they've got their systems that have been telling them. These are all the packages that have been running through. This is how what the time frame has been for all of our orders to go through and how long it's taken. This is where we've had issues. You know, how many orders have we gotten through? How many have made it on time? How many times have we had delays? That information's out there in your systems. It's just, have you made use of it? A lot of the people who are listening to this are people who are pretty early in this journey. Mm-hmm. What would you say to them about where to get started? The first start is to begin to think about where you what you want to do. And again, starting with that data strategy. It can be overwhelming to think about, there's no way we can get there. There's That's too much. It's too big. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I agree, you can't just jump from A to Z in, in 15 minutes, right? So you've got to just start slow and, and work with somebody that can help you break it down and to think about what's reasonable and how do you, how do you build a path to get there in the long run. You know, what makes sense for your company? If you're if you're a small company and you don't have the resources to get there, you know, you can't put unlimited resources towards this. You can build a slow path towards getting there and mm-hmm. make sense to get there along the way. And you just need somebody you can work with 
that can bring the knowledge and help you get there slowly. And you just have to start with building that data strategy, right? You've got to think about what's important to us and what makes sense for our business and what do we really need? Yeah. What are the pressing business problems? And then you go from there to which of those problems can be our sort of hero example case for leveraging data. And that, you know, then helps to build the broader culture. I mean, that's, that's change management. You know, you got to have those hero stories. So what's the coolest or or one or two of the coolest things you have seen people do that have been really transformative for their business? I think that the most exciting thing that I saw a couple years ago, I was at HIMSS, which is the National Health Information Management Society meeting. And there was a hospital network in Louisiana that used the Azure cloud and AI to build out a predictive model using their Epic data, which again, hospitals have tons of data on patients. And and it would start to alert clinicians prior to a patient having an adverse event. So Mm -hmm. we're used to having crash carts in hospitals, right? So a patient goes into a cardiac arrest and the crash cart comes running in, starts to take care of a patient. Um, Instead, this would, uh, it it watched the medical record and it started to determine, oh, this patient is, is going to have a cardiac event. And the team would be alerted and they'd come rushing in and they'd stabilize the patient and get them taken care of before that happened. Whoa. Yeah. I mean, it's just unbelievable. The pilot study had a 44% decrease in the number of adverse events. And if you start to think about that and how how that changes the way we take care of patients, mm-hmm. it's just mind-blowing. It's, it's just mind-blowing. It's not cool. a, a simple thing to put together. And it there's so many ways that it changes the way that medicine is handled because you know, suddenly I'm the physician on the case and all these other doctors come in and start taking care of my patient. You know, this whole clinical care team comes in and starts taking care of my patient. You're like, what is going on? But it's, it can be the right thing to do in patient care. So it changes the whole way we think about medicine from being reactive to preventative, which is where we're trying to go with things. And it's just amazing what we can do. Yeah. Any other ones that come to mind? Yeah, another one that, um, and this was from several years ago when we were working on a project um, for Amalga, which was another kind of data and AI type. It wasn't AI, but another data type project. So there was a bunch of illnesses that were happening in a particular part of the city, and they couldn't figure out why all these patients in this one part of the city kept going into the emergency room over and over again. And they finally, they layered weather data over the top of the the emergency room visits, and they figured out that it was every time it rained, all these patients were getting sick and showing up. And they figured out eventually that there was a storm sewer that was overflowing in that particular neighborhood, and it was causing illness to happen. I mean, it was um, sewage backup that was happening in that neighborhood, and it was causing all these people to get sick. Right. And, no one who's listening can yeah. see this, but like both Brian and my faces are like, what? If you didn't have the data and somebody didn't think to put those two things together, you wouldn't have found it. Yep. As a guy who believes all the power is in storytelling, these two stories have just blown my mind. <laughs> we should just get Judy on stage at every tech conference and be like, just tell those two stories and then see who will get invested. <laughs> on that note, let's take a quick minute and uh, hear a word from our sponsor who's making uh, these stories possible today. This episode of Innovators is brought to you by the Future of Work initiative powered by Microsoft. 
The Future of Work initiative is dedicated to increasing economic opportunity and equity by enabling Louisville to become a regional hub and center for excellence in artificial intelligence, the Internet of Things, and data science. If you are a person looking to upskill into the data economy or a company ready to embark on the next step of their digital transformation, learn more at futurelu.com. I want to flip over to uh, a little bit more of your personal story, a little bit about how you got interested in this kind of work. You know, how did you come to be the CEO of Breakpoint? Actually, when I was 16, I started working in a Western store, uh, learning how to steam hats and fit people for boots. And kind of a fun part of that was uh, the manager of the store ran the excavating company that owned the store. And so when she went on vacation, I covered for her and she taught me how to do all the bookkeeping. So I learned how to do payroll. I learned how to order concrete. I learned how to do all the bookkeeping at you know, 16, 17 years old. Then I went on from there. I worked for um, different physician offices. And at one office, I had like two weeks to learn how to become an echo tech and do stress tests and halters and all kinds of things to, in order to get a permanent job. And so I called my high school physiology teacher to get a book so I could study anatomy. And she, you know, came through for me. Teachers are so awesome. <laughs> and I had to learn everything completely hands-on. I was pretty much a self-taught medical assistant. This was a long time ago. It's a lot harder to do that now. But I've always pretty much tried to dig in and figure out a better process to accomplish things. Um, in the mid-1990s, I started automating transcription for our me medical record team that was in the office I was, the medical practice I was working on. And we cut down our transcription time by 40% in the first week of training. Hey, time to pause for a second. So you were a I mean, we wouldn't have used these terms at the time, but you were a frontline data worker. You were uh, collecting this data. You were you were doing some of the like, accounts. You were putting it into the ledger or the the medical record. And then I managed practices from there. Yeah, yeah, I did a lot of hands on stuff. Um, and another practice I managed helped manage. I put together a spreadsheet to calculate the actual practice RVU cost for all procedures, so we could negotiate reimbursements when managed care contracts first started coming out. So I just, I always was involved with networking with others and sharing in groups because we were all learning all the way along. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's the way that, that you worked and that you figured things out. Everybody has to share information and, and you do better when you share information with each other. It's a pretty central insight to come to early in your career. It's just the only way. And I think you see that across a lot of medical practices and probably, I think a lot of frontline workers in a lot of places, that's how people get a, get ahead, right? They, if they network and they work together, they, they learn more and they get ahead faster. Well, um, but I think, you know, and so part of what I'm teasing out here is I'm thinking about the people who are trying to figure out their career paths, especially in this era of COVID, we've got a lot of displaced workers, you know, we've got a lot of people who are interested, they might be that frontline person. And then within mm -hmm. a lot of the organizations that I've worked with, actually, you talk about sharing as a as a point of, you know, excellence and where value is created. But there's a lot of people who see their value as being able to manage and silo that data because that's their data. I've never found that to work well. I've always <laughs> found that I do better if I share information with other people and I encourage other people to do well. Even if I'm competing against somebody, if I can support somebody else, it always is better in the long run. So from there, you're, you know, you're doing this work with different practices. That does seem a leap then from there into what you're doing now. Yeah. So eventually we moved here to Louisville and I ended up going to University of Louisville and getting a degree in this with a CIS program in the business school. Oh. And 
I was late going to to get a degree. Let's as an pause adult. on that too, because that's a big thing too. Through all the time that you're doing this stuff, you did not have a college degree. No, I did not. So uh, that's really I went that's really reader. powerful right now. I mean, this is a lot of the questions are around: Can I be in this field? You know, what do I need to be in this field? Do I need a college degree, or what point is it appropriate to go back and get a degree? So, if you don't mind me asking, how old were you when you went back to U of L? Go Cards. I think I was 38 when I when I went. Okay. My youngest child was in preschool. So, wow. And I decided I needed to hurry up before my oldest one started going to college. So, got it. You needed to beat them. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, you go back, you get your degree. And then after I graduated from U of L, I moved into consulting full time for about 10 years before we launched Breakpoint with my partners. And what does that mean? So, you went into someone else's consulting? Yeah. The companies I worked for, we were consultants working with different companies, helping them solve their business problems and, and providing IT and technology services. Talk a little bit about the, you know, how you came to be the CEO and owner. We decided the company we were working with was moving in a different direction. And a lot of the customers we'd been working with for most of those 10 years were really important to us. My two business partners, Greg Petritus and Jessica Gray, and I decided that it was really important that we continue to take care of those customers. And so we worked with the company we had been with and negotiated out a lead, an exit from them that maintained a good relationship with them and took some of those customers with us and a couple of our employees. And we really wanted to take care of our customers in the, in the way that we believed in. We did it in about three weeks time. This might be a little bit of a sidebar from the data piece, but what do you love and hate about being an entrepreneur? I love growing the business and working with others. And, um, you know, I get to meet a lot of interesting people. I, you know, I meet so many interesting businesses and I like to be able to mentor people and help people to grow and, and develop. I would say what I hate sometimes is the weight of responsibility. Mm. I, I can't just walk away. I can't just say, you know, I don't feel like selling anything or doing anything for the next couple of weeks. I'm <laughs> Because there's a lot of people that depend on me for a paycheck. Yeah. It's funny when you have been there, done that. Uh, yeah. You know, there's sort of like a knowing. I remember at some point being like, oh, you know, I've run teams. I've, I've been a manager. And I was talking to a, a serial entrepreneur and he's like, yeah, until you've looked at the bank account and calculated how many paychecks for your team, not mm-hmm. counting yours you know, then you're, then you're a vet, then you have had that experience until then, like, sure, you could be a manager, but that's not the same thing. But it's, it is awesome to be able to be, to run a business according to the ethics and the principles you believe in. Mm. We've definitely been able to do that. So if you could, if you could give advice to people coming up in uh, the space right now, who may or may not consider themselves data or technology people who may or may not consider themselves entrepreneurs, what would you say to them? Think long and hard about what it is you believe in first and what your principles are if you're wanting to be an entrepreneur and make sure that as you begin to build your idea or your business that you stay true to your principles. Hmm. It's really easy to get pushed on, on doing something that goes against your principles. And it's important that you have those clearly laid out and that you stick to those. Um, But other than that, don't be afraid to take some risks and to try things and to talk to people um, about your ideas and to, to give something give something the effort of at least 
trying it out and, and doing something. Because the worst that'll happen is you tried it and it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make you a real failure. It just means that that particular idea didn't work. And you can go on and try something else. I love it. Judy, before we wrap up, I, I like to do something called uh, flyover flybys. So these are these are real quick rapid fire questions for me that Ben is not prepared for. Uh, and, yeah. So I just, you know, answer them as quickly as you can. You made some great comparisons to the the processes of using data and how we think about data and in terms of a butterfly's lifespan. Uh, what animal do you think you are most like, if not a butterfly? Um, probably a dog because I spend so much time with dogs and training and I probably think more like my dog than anything else. You can't listen to this and not think, man, that woman really is passionate about about data and how it can be used. I would like to know your dream data, meaning if you could see a data set from anywhere in history, what data set do you wish you could see? I would like to see real data about the contributions of women across the millennia. That's a a good answer. It does not currently exist because no one has recorded it. She just knocked it out of the park, Ben. Dang. I like your style. So we ask all of our guests two questions. What are you most excited about in the coming data revolution? And what scares you the most? I'm most excited about continuing to push the boundaries of what is possible. There is just so much good yet to accomplish, particularly in healthcare, like some of the examples that I showed you or talked to you about. And I just think we're going to be amazed at what can come. We can do so much more good for people. So what scares you the most? What scares me is some of the people that are just not paying enough attention, not willing to build a strategy and just throwing things out there because they, they want to cut corners and just do it the fast and cheapest, easiest way, particularly in creation of AI black boxes that could potentially mm-hmm. discriminate against wise groups. You know, we're just starting to understand how bias plays into everything we do, particularly including data. So if we don't properly account for that when we're setting up a data model, it could have disastrous effects on groups that are already struggling. So let's say it's 10 years from now and we have you back on uh, this as a guest. What do, what do you want to be able to say about your career or your life in 10 years that that you, you're not able to say yet or that you want to be able to continue to say? I hope that 10 years from now, I'm talking a lot more about the mentoring I'm doing hmm. and um, how I've been able to help other people. And I may be pointing to a lot of people that you should be looking at and thinking about more than myself. Uh, wow. Uh, Judy, we should, we should hang out again. This has been fantastic. Judy, thank you so much for your time. This is great. Tell me where listeners can find out more about you, Judy. Oh yeah. Breakpoint.technology. That's our website. There's no.com at the end, just breakpoint.technology. And I would be very happy to talk to anybody. My email address is judy.nichols at breakpoint.technology. Great. And you can find all you need to know about Ben Reno Weber and the Future of Work Initiative when you check out futurelu.com or find them on LinkedIn or follow along at uh, futurelu on Instagram at Lou Future of Work on Twitter. And me, I'm Brian Eichenberger. I am at wearethestoryguys.com. Special thanks to Judy Nichols, Breakpoint Technologies, and Flyover Future. Remember, you can discover, connect, and thrive with daily emails covering everything you need to know about Midwest innovation at flyoverfuture.com. And if you would be kind enough, subscribe and review this show at anchor.fm, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
And thanks for listening. And as you get ready to disembark the plane, don't be one of those idiots who stands up in the row and waits for the doors to open. Please. Please. We'll see you on the next flight.